Good morning. Um, inside the outline, I need to make a change. Uh, if you can cross uh, point one uh, in the way of dot, 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 and just say introduction. Simple change. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and uh, we'll start. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the joy of listening to your word. Uh, we pray, Father, that your spirit will now enable us to listen carefully, weigh up what is being said, so that we might know how to please you in every way. We pray, Father, that as a result, uh, our hearts and our minds will be filled with joy and thanksgiving, our faith reaffirmed and strengthened, so that your name might be glorified and honoured uh, through the way we live. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so, we begin our new series uh, on the book of Psalms. It's the longest the book of the Bible, 150 chapters. Uh, we thought about preaching through the whole book, uh, but that's 150 weeks. Uh, that's, that's too long. That's over three, three, uh, three years. And so uh, you'll have Psalms coming out of your nose in years, and we thought, well, no, let's not do that. Uh, so we, we decided to uh, shorten the whole series uh, in 10 weeks, uh, not 150 psalms in 10 weeks, but uh, a selective psalms uh, that we've chosen. You will notice that psalm uh, comprises of five volumes. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but there are five volumes in the book of Psalms. And so uh, we took a couple from uh, each of those volumes so that by the end you sort of will have a bit of an idea as to uh, what this whole book uh, is going to be all about. Uh, psalm 1 that we're going to be looking at this morning uh, is like an introduction to the whole book. And so uh, whatever is going to be said in Psalm 1 will set the tone for the whole of 150 chapters. So please, uh, listen very carefully. Now, this psalm begins with mention of a man, a blessed man. Uh, who is this blessed person? Well, uh, that is for us to discover as we make our journey through this book. Uh, he doesn't mention too much about who this person is, but he speaks a lot about what this person does, right? So uh, uh, we, we sort of need to think a little bit carefully about whether this person is talking about the identity of this person or just an activity of the person. Listen very carefully to what is being said here. Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the, in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't walk or stand or sit in the counsel of the wicked or the way of the sinners or the seat of the scoffers. I don't know if you notice this, but there's kind of a, there's a movement, isn't there? The, verb, the verbs that he chose, there is a movement of slowing down. Uh, initially, this person is walking, but now he's standing, and eventually he's sitting down. Uh, it's, it's kind of... Um, uh, 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 a description of a person who is really busy and then stops to think a little bit and then sits down to, well, become something else, right? Now, I think it's a kind of a, a description of a person who is 
following the counsel of other people. You know, uh, you, you listen to um, uh, ideas and, 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 and advice, and you say, yeah, okay, well, I'm going I'm to do that. Uh, it's a little bit like children following the parents' advice. Uh, I have two children. Um, you know, uh, they don't necessarily agree with your ideas, but, but nevertheless, they are obliged to, uh, to, to obey, so they do it. But then, you now sort of stand uh, in the way of someone else. That is, you're not only doing what the person is saying to you, you sort of say, yes, actually, um, I, I stand uh, with them. What they say and uh, what they believe... Well, I actually agree with them. I, I stand along with them. And then finally, this person is not only standing there, but is now actually sitting down in the seat of the scoffers. You know what? When you sit down, uh, what are you doing? You're actually taking part in the discussion. You're actually uh, uh, scheming. You're planning. You're, you're actually being... You have become one of them. So there's a kind of a, a transition from someone who is... Uh, uh, following the advice to agreeing with the, the idea and eventually becoming someone who is utterly and convinced by this, this group of people and you become one of them. Um, I came to Australia uh, back in 1982. So what is it? That's 36 or so years ago. Uh, that day, it, it reminds me, uh, very vividly and clearly in my head. I, I still remember the first day that I got off the plane and I can actually trace back everything that I did on my first day. Uh, I wasn't able to speak much English. Um, I was very strongly culturally uh, Korean, etc., uh, etc. Et but over the years, you learn the language, you learn the customs, you become uh, culturally adapted and you slowly become uh, something else. You, you morph into a new person. Uh, well, you can't help it. You know, uh, it, uh, you wake up, you breathe the air, you interact with people, um, you're thinking about uh, how other people are living, you want to sort of fit in there, you want to be accepted. You, you slowly but steadily, you morph into something that you were not before. Now, we Christian people are living in this world and because of the air that we breathe, the, the culture that we interact with must and surely have a lot of impact on the way we live and the way we think, uh, who we are. Uh, we are living in this world. We can't sort of build a wall and protect ourselves from uh, how other people are living and what they are thinking. Uh, we are in this world and therefore we need to interact with them. But in our interaction with them, we think like them, we agree with their ideas, we accept and we say, yeah, I think that's how things are done. I think that's how things uh, should be done. Yeah, actually, I'm going to say that to my children as well. Now, I want you to think very carefully. Uh, the things that you're discussing with your children, the things that you're discussing with your spouses, perhaps even with your parents and your peers, the ideas, the, the aspirations, the thoughts, the dreams, and see whether you can see any resemblance to the people round about you. 
Jesus, the New Testament reading that we did this morning, speaks about us being the salt and the light of the world. Uh, the essential nature of salt and light is that they are not like anything else. You know, uh, you put salt on the table, there is nothing else uh, that is not quite like salt. Or when you put a light in a room, well, it's either you're dark or you're bright. You can't be as different to light and darkness. And so Jesus speaks so much about us being distinctive, radically and totally different from our surroundings. Uh, We can't exclude ourselves from this world, but we are... Uh, we are warned to do everything we can to see whether the world's influence is shaping the way we live, the way we think, and how we behave. But blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But instead, what does he do? delightfully meditates the law of the Lord. Delightfully meditates the law of the Lord. Or you borrow the language that he's, he's using here. He delights in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord here uh, is not talking about religious rules and regulations that we Uh, we immediately conjure up in our mind. The law, the word law, gives you that impression, doesn't it? It's it's the kind of rules that we need to keep. Uh, The way the the, uh, Old Testament uses the word, uh, the expression law of the Lord, primarily refers to the first five books of the the Old Testament, uh, the Pentateuch, the the Moses books. But sometimes it talks about the whole of the Old Testament. Um, So it's talking about, essentially, God's word. But what does this person do? This person meditates and delights in this word day and night. Maybe um, I'm reading a little bit too much into this, but the expression day and night, uh, it's a little bit like in good times and in bad times. Uh, I mean, obviously, talking about all the time, uh, but maybe he's thinking, saying a little bit more than just all the time. Maybe he's thinking about when you're really happy, when everything's going really well. But also, during the time when things are a little bit difficult, when you're facing opposition, when things are not working out too well, when you're down and feel like you're out, this person delights in the word of the Lord day and night. Uh, the, The word meditate... Uh, is an interesting word, isn't it? Uh, because we now live in a society where uh, ideas from the East and ideas from the West are all jumbled up together, uh, people understand meditation in a kind of different way. Uh, I think when the Eastern culture people use the word meditate, they normally uh, uh, refer to the idea of being empty in your, in your head. You know, when you, uh, when you meditate something... You're trying to um, calm down. You need to get rid of all the, the complications in your head and you just become empty. Uh, 
that's what meditation normally means uh, in, in a lot of the uh, Eastern cultures. So when you do um, transcendental meditation, for example, well, you sort of play the uh, background music and, and uh, you close your eyes and you try not to think about anything. And by that, you sort of reach a certain kind of nirvana, so to speak. But that's not how the psalmist uh, used the word meditate. Uh, this is a primarily kind of a, a cerebral activity. Uh, you engage, you think about it, you try to understand it, you're reading it and you're discussing it, you're reading it, you're reading it out loud. Uh, I think the word is actually murmuring. You know, uh, uh, imagine a, a person who is sitting down on the desk and is reading through the book and the person without realising is actually saying the words. Why? Because he's so into it and, and he's, he's, he's really enjoying what he's reading. It's a little bit like that. This person, through good times and bad times, is delightfully reading it and, and try to understand it and try to see how his life might be influenced by what he's reading. So, Psalmist talks about the blessed person, but blessed person's activity. This is what blessed person does. Now let's move on to think about uh, the outcome of this blessed person's lifestyle, right? And so the person does not walk or stand and then sit in the council of the wicked people, but instead the person delightfully meditates in the word of God. But what is the outcome? What happens when this person does that? Well, have a look at it uh, in verse 3. He is like a tree. A tree planted by the streams of water that yields its uh, fruit uh, in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The outcome of this person's life, the person who delightfully meditates the word of God day in, day out, in good times and bad times, well, this person is like a flourishing tree. It's a wonderful image, isn't it? Uh, I've got a tree in my backyard, as you know. Uh, I hate that tree, actually. You know why? Jack around the tree, uh, you think it's beautiful. Uh, when, you know, it turns uh, purple and, and the, the ground becomes purple and it's like carpet, you live trying to live with it. It's awful. It, it, it um, covers your, um, it messes up your drainage systems. Uh, once uh, it becomes rotten, it, it smells and it's really dirty and, and there's a lot of droppings uh, from, from the tree. But one thing for sure, that tree's been there for such a long time and the root system is so extensive and vast, I realised this tree's root actually reaches to my front yard. Uh, I don't want to talk about the kind of mess it creates for our drainage systems. Uh, you know, uh, our downpipe is now all blocked. Um, a plumber came and he tried to uh, use the eel to, you know, the, he said, forget it, I can't do it. It's, it's too much. Anyway... Wind blows, rain comes, and this tree stands. I mean, sometimes branches might fall in the etc., etc., but it does not move. It is stable, it is firm, it is unshakable. Through good times and bad times, it stands in its place. 
Not only that, he says, it's like a tree that is producing fruits uh, in due course. It is a, a picture of prosperity. It is a picture of stability. It is a picture of, well, just genuine goodness. And so, as uh, the, the psalmist declares, uh, right at the end of verse 3, in all that he does, he prospers. It's a rather bold declaration, don't you think? The person who meditates the word of the Lord day and night, the outcome of this person's life is flourishing. It's fruit-bearing. It is green, it's rich, it is stable. Now, that is how the psalmist looks the world. Is that your experience? Uh, as you meditate on the word of the Lord day in, day, day, in, day, in, day, out, day out, as you delightfully meditate on it, is that your experience? Are you convinced that dwelling in the word of God enables you to stand like this flourishing tree? Do you teach that to your children? Do you say to them when they are ostracised at school, when they are pressured by, uh, by whatever the, the, the they're going through, through friendship, through studies, whatever it might be, do you say to them, you know what, son, you know what, my daughter, the person who meditates on the word of the Lord will flourish. Don't worry. Let's keep hearing what God has to say. Do you believe that? Is that your experience? Well, you wish it was. <laughs> well, you look at the world that we're living in and it looks like this is not true. In fact, it is the wicked. It is the sinful people. It is the people who ne do not necessarily know God. It seems like they are the ones who are flourishing. They are the ones who are getting all the good things in this world, while the Christian people are struggling and they, they're sort of being marginalised and, and your marriage is finding, you're finding your marriage difficult. And, and so how can this be true? Well, that's a, an important question for us to come back to. So let me just address that. Um, uh, in just a minute. Having spoken about the blessed person and that person's outcome, notice what he says in verse 4. The wicked are not so. Uh, more literally, it's like not so with the wicked. It spoke about the, the, the goodness of the life of the person who is richly blessed by God. And he says, no, but not with the wicked. Not so with the wicked. And notice the brevity of uh, what this person has to say about the wicked people. He said, they are like chaff that wind blows away. Very short. Uh, there's not much to say about them because their life is nothing but vanity. It's a little bit like bubble, isn't it? You, you, uh, you look at it and you say, well, it's just filled with so many good things and, and they look impressive and, and so on, but 
in a moment, they disappear. There's nothing there. Totally and utterly empty, meaningless. Again, see how bold the psalmist is. He's not apologetic about this. He says, the blessed are the people who meditate on the word of God and this person's life will flourish, but not so with the wicked. And so here comes the final punchline. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's a devastating conclusion. It's a bold conclusion. It's a big conclusion. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, they will perish. So this person, blessed person, whose ways is based upon meditating the word of the Lord, this person's way is known by God. It's a wonderful assurance, isn't it? Uh, you know, uh, you, you sort of feel a little bit insecure about uh, whether you're doing the right thing. You read the Bible and say, well, I need to make a decision about my child's education or I need to make a decision about my career, uh, where to work. I need to make a decision about my marriage. And I listen to the instruction that I get from the scriptures and I'm going to follow this way and this way is actually known by God. That is a wonderful reassurance. So, that's Psalm 1. Uh, as wonderful as it is, while we are reading through this, there are some important questions that we cannot avoid. I mean, if you were a careful reader of, the, of, of Psalm 1, these are the questions that would have popped up in your mind. So let me just uh, uh, ask those questions. Number one, does this psalm teach salvation by works? Well, initially, it sounds like it because the, 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 the way you are blessed sounds like depends very much on the action that you take. You stop uh, walking in the counsel of the wicked or you stop standing in the way of the sinners or you stop sitting in the seat of, of the scoffers. Um, so, okay, uh, I need to stop these things in order to become a blessed person. It sounds a little bit like it's talking about salvation by works. But no, um, I don't know if you picked it up as I was explaining this passage. This psalm is a description. It is not a, a prescribing how, the person, how a person might become a blessed person. It's saying, if you're a blessed person, this is what you will look like. Uh, it's not a, 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 an advice of how you become a blessed person, but if you're a blessed person, this is what you will look like. So it's not necessarily talking about salvation by works. And so the next question is, well then, how do I become a blessed man or blessed person? And that is a crucial question, isn't it? 
How do I enter into this blessed state? How will I receive the blessing from God? Well, there's not much uh, uh, hint uh, in Psalm 1, but this is the, uh, the ultimate question that the whole of Psalms is talking about. What does it mean for you to be a blessed person? Well, um, we will explore that for the next nine weeks, but let me just give you a little bit of a, a hint because... Uh, a clear answer has already been given to us in the psalm that we're going to be looking at next week, uh, Psalm 2. I can't help but mentioning Psalm 2, although Huey will do a wonderful job explaining Psalm 2 next week. But essentially, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, they are one volume. Uh, There's there's every evidence that that is the case. So Psalm 1 uh, speaks about a blessed person and, and it's a description but Psalm 2 is a little bit like answering the question of, well, then how you become a blessed person. And the blessed person, you come over to Psalm 2, right at the end, look at verse 12. It says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his, uh, his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, this blessed person is a person who meditates on the word of the Lord day in and day out. But as he does that, what he will learn and discover and understand is that this word of the Lord will point you to a person a person whom God chose and anointed as his Messiah, and when you focus your eyes and attention on on him and make reconciliation with him, make a right relationship with that person, you become a blessed person. Um, Sometimes uh, people look at the Bible as kind of a a self-help book. You know, um, uh, I spent some time yesterday um, at a bookstore looking at uh, what is displayed at a uh, uh, self-help section. Uh, I don't know if you've done that, but it's, it's a wonderful experience. It's really fun. You go there and you can pick up a book on how to lose weight or uh, how to uh, improve yourself in a public speaking or how to manage your uh, marriage life better. There are all kinds of ideas and books out there, and people are flogging to those books because they want some... Uh, advice from wise people. Uh, I think these days people uh, don't read books very much, so what do they do? They go to TED, TED Talks. Um, there are all kinds of uh, wonderful things out there and, and you, can, you can learn about all sorts of, about universe and, 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 and everything else. And people say, well, Bible is a little bit like that. Uh, you will get all kinds of tips ideas, suggestions. It is a, is a wisdom book. So I might, uh, uh, during difficult times, turn to this book and get some, some uh, helpful ideas and suggestions. But that's not what the psalmist is saying. 
you will not get much help from that. Oh, I mean, there are uh, parts of the Bible that uh, anyone can read and say, yeah, this is true. You know, for example, you go to a book of Proverbs and say, go and learn from ants. You know, uh, they are diligent. They, they prepare for the hard times when things are going well. Learn from them. And you say, well, that's a really good advice. Um, uh, I, I might just take up on that. But you see, you're not utterly and absolutely convinced by the, what the whole of the Bible is saying. It's, you just picks and chooses uh, bits and pieces from here and there. But you're not really convinced about what the Bible is really saying. There are all kinds of ideas floating around and you're shaped and influenced by, that, by those things. But at the core, at the centre of your inner, inner person, you're not really convinced by what the scripture is saying. Whereas what this person is saying is, this person delights in the word of the Lord. It is a genuine transformation. You know, there is nothing better than meditating on this word because it is so good, because it gives everything that you need. You know that the Bible gives you everything that you need for this life and the world to come. Are you absolutely convinced that the Bible is sufficient for everything that you need in this life? That you don't really need any other advice? I mean, that is not to say totally dismiss them. Uh, You might still engage with, with various ideas out there, but you will always look at it and evaluate and understand it with the scripture in your mind because you are absolutely and utterly convinced that the God of the universe has spoken to us and has given us everything that we need for our well-being in this world. Well, that's what this person does. And when this person uh, is engaged in that activity, the psalmist's declaration is that his life will prosper. Well, what about this promise of prosperity? Is it true? You know, I, I look at this congregation and I look at the 11.30am congregation. In fact, I look at the Christian community in general and you say, well, Christians are not immune from disasters, tragedies, sadness in life. In fact, sometimes being a Christian person makes life more difficult and more complicated than living as a non-Christian person. You know, if, you, if you're an atheist, you can just be totally uh, selfish and do whatever you want to do. It's a very simple way of thinking about it, isn't it? That's why you have to be a dumb person to be an atheist. You don't have to think very much. There is nothing much to think. Atheism doesn't encourage you to think because it says, well, don't think about anything. There is nothing out there Everything is accident, and you just live for your animalistic instinct, so to speak. Very simple way of thinking about your life. Everything becomes very simple. But you see, um, what the psalmist is talking about is that when you are faced with all kinds of situations in life 
this person will know how to handle the situation, how to react, how to understand it, how to be stable. Um, it's always true when you are a person who is spending time thinking about the scripture and influenced and shaped by God's way of thinking, when the questions arise in your mind, you will be, well, peaceful, so to speak. You won't be shaken. You won't go through these ups and downs, emotional trauma. Well, uh, yes, there will be sad times and there will be good times and you'll be joyful and you'll be sad and, and you, sometimes you feel depressed and, and all the rest. But in this wide range of emotional fluctuation, you will always remain steady and stable like a tree, firmly planted. Why? Because this person is meditating the word of God all the time and th that word is shaping the way you think, the way you understand this world. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, I know many of you uh, have young children and they are all growing up. It is such a delightful experience to come to 9am church and, and kids running around everywhere. But eventually, and some of you uh, already experienced this, as they grow up, as they go through, hit the teenage years, they'll begin to ask you questions. Some of you might even say, well, I don't really like following God anymore. Uh, it's natural. The children will ask those questions because they now think for themselves and, and they are now able to ask questions that they need to ask. If you as a parent have not prepared yourself um, because you were just too busy working or too busy planning your holidays and too busy uh, whatever else that you're, you're, you're spending your time with, you haven't, you haven't given yourself opportunity to, to answer those questions, then they will, your children will fill their mind with something other than the word of God and they will begin to form their own ideas, their own uh, worldviews, their own perception about the realities of life and I see this all the time you know um, uh, uh, some parents come to me and these are the parents with children who have already grown up uh, in their mid-twenties and thirties and uh, they've stopped living as a Christian person. Um, uh, they're not only not coming to church, but their lifestyle has totally and, and completely turned away from, from the gospel. And I sit down with these parents and I, I speak to them and, and they, they tell me about what has happened in the last 10, 15 years. They're all church-going people they would bring their children to church. But it's as if there is no uh, 
influence or shaping of their kids at home. They're just busy uh, driving them from one tutoring to another, to one sporting event, to another extracurricular activities, and they're just so busy with their life, and they are picking up all kinds of ideas and things uh, from this world, and yet there is no delightful meditation of the Word of God because you're not doing it yourself, they will not end up doing it either. And because they're not doing it either, they're filling their minds with all kinds of other ideas. And by the time they grow up in, and hit their 20s, it is just too late. I mean, it's a tragedy. And there's so many of them. This is not all the time, but, but so many of them. They come to me and say, my children's life is so messed up. They are not only not living as Christians, but they are in all kinds of strife, facing all kinds of difficulties in their life, and it is a great tragedy. However, if you are a person who meditates on the Word of God, it will actually give you a framework to process your experience It'll give you a, a kind of an idea about how to, to, to digest your experience. And because this person is like that, this person will prosper. That is, this person will not lose his or her ways, will have their feet firmly planted on the ground. They will not be shaken. Other tragedies will strike and they will go through some difficulties and sad times. But their hope will be firmly planted in the promises of God. Um, earlier last year, a close friend of mine uh, lost his teenage son. I mean, it's a tragedy of tragedies. He was only 16. And he died of cancer, brain tumour. Uh, I can't think of anything worse in life than having to see your own son at the prime of his life perishing away because of cancer. It was in so much pain and, and the life was just withering away. But you know what? This boy, 16-year-old boy, was a Christian man. His parents have done such a good job in explaining the gospel to him and giving him the way of thinking about or processing his experience. By the end, by the time that he he died, his testimony about God's goodness to him touched the lives of so many people. In that sense, this person prospered. God's plan and purpose for this person bore fruit. And it was such a joy and delight, even in the midst of tragedy, to see such a person uh, standing firm and bearing fruit in his or her life. So... 
the question, the ultimate question is, which of these two ways do you really want to live? Have you made the reconciliation that you need to make with the Messiah that we will come to see in Psalm 2? The reconciliation with the Messiah, when the transformation takes place, you can't help but think the word of the Lord is such a delightful thing. It is my hope and my prayer that as a congregation full of people who put their hope and trust in the risen Lord Jesus, they will be so transformed in your mind that as you engage with the scripture, as you meditate on it day in, day and night, you will know how to understand this world. That you will know how to engage with this world. That you will know how to understand your own experience that you will have all the answers that you, you need in order to stand firm in this life and the life to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that by the power of your Spirit, you have given us new heart and a new mind. The heart and mind that searches after your ideas and your thoughts. Thank you so much, Father, that uh, through the work of our Lord Jesus, we can now clearly see the vanity of this world and the result uh, that it brings. We thank you so much, Father, that the gospel living has so shaped and influenced us that we can see clearly that living your way is not only the best way, but the only way to live. And so help us to be diligent uh, in finding ourselves uh, in these promises. Help us, Father, to keep on encouraging each other uh, to live in this world uh, as your people, delightfully meditating your word. And that we ask and pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs>